Peace and Black Power family, this is your host Raheem Shabazz and we are here for another episode of Necessary Blackness Podcast and today family, I got a very special guest in the building and he is no stranger to Necessary Blackness Podcast. Today we have TJ Lawton and TJ do a lot of coaching. He does workshops and consulting as well as facilitating boot camps. He does webinars and he has TJ's Wealth Academy, which illustrates how to think outside the box and gives examples of how to become a leader in your own industry. Now, there's several different industries. The industry we're talking about is leadership and real estate. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome TJ. How are you, my brother? I'm Black Neverson, my brother, and yourself. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So, this is your second time here. Absolutely. Appreciate that. It's an honor, brother, to have me back. Thank you. No problem, man. We always run into each other, whether it's in Orlando. We've seen each other in Orlando. We've right. seen each other out on the land, right. um, lakes of Somerville. Mm-hmm. We've seen each other out and about at different events, and I always see you online. <laughs> right. You know, um, for those that don't know who TJ is, I, I, I just read off of your bio, but give us an introduction into the day and life of TJ and what it is that you actually do. Oh, man. That's, we got enough time for that? Yeah, we I'm, got enough time. I'm, I'm TJ Loft, and they call me the economic futurist. My thing is, you know, I, I try to help us. So my background is I'm a celebrity car builder. I help pioneer the industry for putting lowriders in rap videos, movies, TV shows, commercials. Built the whole industry in Compton, California. Now, where it started off with about 3,000 of us, now it's over 10 million lowriders worldwide. So, uh, other than that, you know, I'm a coach. I do training classes, a background in land development. So, right now, I do, I'm working on building a house right now, uh, buying land and continuing, you know, building. Uh, do a lot of, I sponsor some schools, training these young people. You know what I'm saying? We need some more tradesmen, y'all. Somebody got to build these houses. So we got to do it ourselves. Uh, you know, I do a lot of stuff, brother. It's, it's all about, I'm like an advocate for low riding mainly. You know, okay. we, yeah, I do a lot, brother. So speaking of land development and real estate, just recently here in Atlanta, the city council tried to pass a bill, even though they got a, a nuisance audience bill right right that's on the um state and local level they tried to push one through that it was a nuisance abatement uh law that they right. were trying to do and um basically the bill says that if you have two or more violent incidents that they can come and shut down your business and a lot of people felt that that was targeted for black businesses. Absolutely. Because you have a lot of um, big corporations, and um, here you have the Mercedes-Benz uh, Stadium. You have Lenox Mall, where there's constant fighting. There was even a shoot in there. And we know that the Lenox Mall was billions of dollars. Right. 
they're not going to shut that down. You no, know, no, the city is heavily invested in that with tax credits and money and um, the jobs that it provides for the community. The same thing with Lenox Mall. So I know um, in California, they have a similar thing like that. Right. Um, and you're well-versed in how that all came about. So tell me what's going on in California and what are some of the things black business owners can do to curtail uh, these things from happening? I'm glad you asked that question, brother, because this is going on. I call what they're doing. These are gentrification strategies hidden under different premises, different names, you know. So just like out here, they did the abatement law. Okay, they only go enforce this on black businesses, though. They're not going to close down a Lenox Mall. Mm-hmm. They're not going to close down Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Absolutely. So in L.A., they had a drive, They had a shooting in the park, and quickly they mobilized and said it was the lowriders. Well, that's a multi-billion-dollar industry that black and brown people run. Mm-hmm. So they want that industry out of there because if they can get rid of that that industry, just like if they can get rid of those black businesses, that'll help them further this gentrification push. Mm-hmm. Meaning, it's too much wealth in the automotive industry. It's too much wealth in the uh, the bar, the, the clubs. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And we hold, we run those industries. So if they can push us out, that opens the door for other people to come in. So in, and that's why I wrote my book, Monetizing Gentrification, Building Black Ownership. We can't just sit back. And I shout out to uh the brother uh, uh that came and stopped that. The two rappers, two chains and uh and Killer, Killer Mike. Mike. Shout out to them because that's not the norm. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? I know they were scared. So it was just like what I did when I'm watching the news. They had some brothers in the park playing baseball on one end of the park, mm-hmm. and they had the lowriders. They was having a, a picnic, somebody's birthday party, but it wasn't a car show. Mm-hmm. And they quickly, somebody came in there, saw somebody on the baseball field that they didn't like, and they went in there shooting. It hit the news like it was an active shooter situation, so heavily armored, like, you know, they blew it up real quick yeah. and tried to make it into something that it was not. It was just two individuals that had a problem that got shut down. Yeah. Quickly, the whole story hit the news. The lowriders, the lowriders. If they had permits for these unlicensed car clubs, that's when I'm watching the news. And I don't watch the news. Yeah. So when I seen that, I was like, okay, we got to deal with that right now. And that's how it works. When we see this type, when we hear this type of stuff, and we see this wrong language being used negatively against billion dollar industries or industries that black people control or run or have a lot of ownership in, we got to say something. So what did I do? I picked up the phone, called the National Lowrider Association, my pop, my, my people that I helped to start. Said, hey man, y'all need to get on this. This is finna go. He's, this is an agenda. You need to nip this in the butt right before it even get off the ground. Absolutely. I ended, He said, man, I don't even know. This is a politician. I don't know these people, man. I'm like, let me make a couple phone calls. 15 minutes later, I called him back with the with the politician cat on the phone because I had to reach out into the community like, who do I know that know these people? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? They look like us because yeah. they're going to always use us. Whenever it's an attack on black people, it's always going to be us doing it. You know uh-huh. what I'm saying? They got people who spineless who don't have a problem taking money to go out and bring harm or bring financial disclosure to your own people. You know what I'm saying? That's wrong. So luckily, the people who I reached out to was kind of way out there financially and they when they called him they he respected them 
And he picked that phone up and they told him, I got TJ, blah, blah, blah. He represented the National Lowriders Association. He wanted to talk about that press conference you did. Yeah. He was like, no problem. And he quickly denied it. Oh, you know, the news be chopping up our words and blah, blah. Next thing you know, he turned around and brought my people there and they was all on the news. They, they got a chance to defend themselves. Mm-hmm. But when they saw that we showed up, the National Lowriders Association, what? We didn't even know y'all existed. Police quickly... At the beginning of the press conference, the visual they had at the Peck Park, oh, it was not the lowriders. I repeat myself. We found out through our investigation it was not the lowriders. Had they not showed up, it would have been the lowriders' fault, and they would have quickly used that excuse to mobilize, put new laws in place to to curtail the cruising, mm-hmm. to kill them off. Uh, let's close down the paint shops. Let's close down the uh, lowrider shops. Let's close down the muffler shops where these cars are built. You yeah. see what I'm saying? Now, what does that do? You're killing the industry. Mm. This is what they do. They're very diabolical with it. So we got to look at it as if it may be a little small and over here. But when it get become a lot of them, they come in there and become destructive. Yeah, so absolutely. A lot of strategic movements in small places add up. And we got to be able to catch it. So like I said... We got to start going to these meetings. Yeah, and that was one of the good things that happened here, that the community not only showed up, but they had individuals that had powerful voice right. and that was able to articulate themselves and basically tell them, listen, we're the ones that vote you in, and right. when it's election time, y'all come around for donations, and this ain't going to happen. You know, because you have to look at it like this. You know, Atlanta is a black town. Right. With black wealth. Absolutely. And those that don't like it is coming for Atlanta. Absolutely. And they're going to come for the bars. They're going to come from the clubs. They're going to come from the entertainment. Yep. Um, I think it was last year they tried to do something where they tried to say that only a certain amount of studios could be in um, a certain uh, radius and area. And that the music can't be played right. loud. I, I and, remember that. And right. it's just like, you know, Atlanta is built on the entertainment industry. The music. Whether it's music, film, right. fashion, it's it's almost a hub for entertainment. Right. So um this is just another tactic. And like you said, you gotta watch out for the coded language. Right. Because there was a situation in in LA where there was a liquor store owner, and I was telling you about that earlier. And um, there used to be a lot of people that, you know, the undesirables as they see them that congregate outside. And sometimes there there will be incidents of fights. And a couple of times, I think it was uh, some gunplay happening. But that happens all over the world. All the time. But the owner of this liquor store had nothing to do with that. Right. You know, people sell drugs and crimes is committed in front of 7-Eleven and uh, Shell's gas station. You never heard of a gas station right. being uh, um, shut down because it was a nuisance to the community or there was gang activity in front of right. it. So as black people, man, we have to uh, fight back. So my next question to you is your book. It's called Monetizing Gentrification. That's the correct title, correct. right? Correct. Gentrification, when we see the word, we think about those that don't look like us coming in, right. buying up right. the land and the property and pushing right. us out, right. you know, and then they 
uh, um, up upscaling the rent where it's unaffordable for the common day man or woman, right? Right. So when you're saying and you're teaching how to monetize gentrification, give me a few samples of that. Okay, I'll give you a big sample. When uh, Elon Musk moved into Hartown, California, that's mm-hmm. like the black community, Hartown, Compton, L.A., all that's 10 minutes from each other, hypothetically speaking, you know. Keep going. I knew what was about to happen. So instead of everybody jumping up and selling their real estate for 300000 because they paid 100 for it and, hey, now the crime is here, it's so bad out here, let me sell my real estate. I said, no, 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 we're going to monetize this, meaning we're not going to take the 300000 mm-hmm. We're going to sit and we're going to hold and we're going to work on our neighborhoods. And because Elon Musk moved in, I knew he needed this real estate. Because he's coming in, bringing in 25,000 employees. He need all these houses. And we hold on and don't nobody sell anything that's going to push the values up through the roof. Even with the drive-by shootings, even with the break-in home invasions and all the strategies and tactics that they throw at us. Because most of the time, that ain't us. Absolutely. So, sure enough, the property cost of L.A. right now, all around Tesla's $1.2 million, $1.4 million in that real estate. For, I'm talking about two-bedroom, one-bathrooms in the hood. Mm. But Tesla's five minutes away, yeah. across the street, around the corner. And like I said, they want those houses. So, now the real estate is skyrocketed because we monetize. It's like, no, we ain't selling. When we don't sell, the value skyrocket. But on a different note, how else did we monetize? We turn around and I immediately start mobilizing when I realized what they were doing gentrification wise and said, look, we got when I hear gentrification, that means there's a lot of construction coming. A lot of land developments about to take place. Mm -hmm. So that means welders. That means carpenters. That means plumbers. That means electricians, et cetera, et cetera. We need to get back into the schools and stop putting all these kids in college where they going to get buried in debt and go hope to pray to get a job. And we're going to put them into something where they're going to be uh, mandatorily, desperately needed. These, these carpenters are highly sought after. Mm. They don't have enough carpenters. So when you don't have enough, you get to write your, bit, write your own check. Absolutely. Say, look, you want me to come over there and help you put up this $4 billion high rise? I'm going to need at least... You know, four five hundred thousand dollars a year, and I'm gonna need you guys to get me a house. I'm gonna need you to guys provide transportation. I'm gonna need you to give me airfare to get back and forth to see my family like once a month. And they're gonna be like, done, done, done. done. We, they, we need you. <laughs> yeah. We need you. We Absolutely. know you are the best at what you do. Got a hire one me. of the best. Yes. So I, I'm gonna um, start off with a quote from Martin Luther King, right? Martin Luther King said, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself exiled in his own land, right? And he said that in the 60s, and that's happening today. We are languishing in the most impoverished communities, and we don't own no land. Now, I always say that land is the basis of freedom. I want you to tell us why and how it's important that we own land. If you don't, without ownership, you don't, you you can be gentrified. You can be told where you can live at. You can be told how long you can live there and you can be pushed out immediately when they decide they want to sell it. But when you own, that's a different ballpark. They got to pay you. 
You want me to leave? You're going to have to pay. So ownership is generational. You know, I see people like the Hunts family, the ketchup people in Palmdale, California. I met the uh, the ex-wife of the Hunts family. Mm-hmm. And this man went in there and bought thousands of acres in Palmdale for pennies. Even uh, Steve, was it Tom Selleck? Bought mm-hmm. thousands of acres for pennies on a dollar. And 25, 30 years later, Palmdale's highly sought after. Now, each acre is going for like 4 or $5 million dollars. Commercial acreage. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Oh, you want that piece of land? That's 75,000 square foot parcel of land. Give me $2 million for it. Mm. You see what I'm saying? So where great-grandpops or grandpops paid you know, $2 million for 1,000 acres, now mm. they selling quarter acres for a million and $2 million. You see what I'm saying? So the profit is it's, enormous. It's, there's no other investment that rivals real estate. And this is why they constantly throw distractions out there. It's like y'all can do the Bitcoins. Y'all can do the cryptos. Y'all can do the Forexes. Y'all can do all of that. But just stay away from this real estate. Stay away from this land. And one thing about real estate and owning land, real estate or land can't be lost or stolen. Exactly. Once you have it, you have to hold on to it. You have to pass that down and establish generational wealth. So well, I know I have a lot of viewers that are very interested in being first-time home owners. You know, a lot of them are entrepreneurs. A lot of them are leveling up and trying to establish generational wealth. What are some of the key things that first-time homeowners need to know and what they should look out for when purchasing either land or home? Well, right now, in this economy, we got to get in the right positions to, and that's to know the knowledge of what it takes. So we are not in the purchasing market to where you want to just go buy a house. Mm-hmm. We're in the market to where hedge funds have decided they're going to buy up all the houses in the country. So you don't want to go competing and getting into a bidding war against a hedge fund, you know, so you're going to lose. So if you, literally if the house is listed at 150, hedge fund comes in there and say, we're paying 375 for it, cash. We're going to close in 15 days. So you don't, even if you do win and you go break the bank, you may win the uh, war, but you didn't win the battle. Yeah. You see what I'm sorry? You win the battle, but you didn't, you didn't win, win the, the war. war. So if you got to pay too much money for something, it's not worth it. You don't have equity. But the value of building a house, buying some land and building it, is the difference. It's called equity. Meaning when you buy a house at 150 and end up going for 375 for example, versus there's no equity in there. But if you turn around and buy a piece of land for twenty five and put a two hundred thousand dollars house on there, you out of two twenty five, but it's gonna praise at five. Mm. So now you can immediately go to the bank and say, "Hey, I need to pull out like a hundred thousand. I'm about to go uh, invest in right the Shabazz. You know what I'm saying? Wingy, okay, Wingy Apparel. You know what I'm saying? How much you need so we can uh, get this, make this a national brand? How much you need? I got two hundred twenty five thousand dollars liquid." Right now that I can invest in some businesses. Let's do something. So you heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. And for those that are just joining us, I am here interviewing TJ. And we're talking about everything involving real estate, land ownership, leadership, and how to level up and not become a tenant, a renter, but become an owner and to 
get rid of your landlord and become a landowner. So we're going to take a quick commercial break and we're going to come right back. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. You are now listening to Necessary Blackness Podcast with your host, Raheem Shabazz. Elementary Genocide provides a critical expose of mass incarceration, the war on drugs, and the connection between slavery, capitalism, and the prison industrial complex. Visit our website at www.elementarygenocide.com. Now available, Elementary Genocide, the School to Prison Pipeline. Elementary Genocide 2, the Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration. And the newest release, Elementary Genocide 3, Academic Holocaust. Log on today to purchase your very own three-set docuseries. Necessary Blackness Podcast is independently owned, and we do not accept sponsorship dollars from corporations. We are supported by the people such as yourself who know that in war, the first casualty is the truth. We are at war with racism and white supremacy. We must continue to tell the truth. Support us by purchasing your Necessary Blackness t-shirt by sending an email to necessaryblacknesspodcast at gmail.com. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. We are back from our quick commercial break. And for those that are just joining us, I am here with my man TJ. And we are talking all things real estate, everything that has to do with wealth and entrepreneurship. Now, you've been on fire as far as events. I see that you're doing your own events uh, you was recently did a few here, a couple right. of other states. Right. Um, why you don't speak at uh, events that's hosted by other people as, as a panelist or as a speaker? You know, it's a lot of politics in the speaking world. Okay. And, and I believe that there, there are people, I question sometimes the validity of are most of these events black owned? Mm-hmm. I really question that because in an effort to stop the good information to getting out, you got to remember, just like other folks control television, they control radio, they control the church. They want to control the things that go in our head. So the new thing going is these public speakers. You know, they really pulling in large fan bases, packing out rooms, packing out big buildings everywhere. So people who don't look like us want to make sure they control that narrative. So they've taken over some of these venues, these uh, brands, and they tell them what they can talk about or what they can't talk about. So, so you're talking about individuals that come in as corporate sponsors, correct? Probably sponsors as well as uh, the events themselves. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I'm not trying to talk about anybody's events, but I, I do question some of these events mm-hmm. because I can just look at the people who they put on to talk about things. Just like I kind of pioneered the, I, I pioneered the gentrification conversation from a public speaker standpoint of traveling the country talking about this. So I should be the voice of gentrification. Absolutely. So now when they have, now it's became a, a, a normal thing. It's a household, a household thing. Now it's affecting everybody. So now I see people putting gentrification panel discussions together. And your name is not included. My name's not in there. You know, you so, know, they don't want the radical voice of truth there. Whenever they can get someone that's uh 
soft cooning, you know, scratch where they don't itch. Right. Um, they're going to always have those type of people. But I think our people are becoming more uh, knowledgeable mm. of who these people are. We know that they exist. And sometimes we just have to call them out, call a spade a spade. Exactly. So, but first we got to learn how to listen. Mm-hmm. We got to learn how to recognize. We can't talk about I, when it when it comes down to talking about gentrification and the mayor is going to be in the room and the politicians is going to be there. I don't want to have this local celebrity in here talking. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's going to turn into a fan thing. All the fans is going to show up and they ain't caring nothing about the law. They just want a, a selfie and an autograph, you know? So we got to overstand when we're being bamboozled. We can, we can sit down and have a two hour conversation with these people and nothing, never, nothing realistic ever happens or said. Yeah. You know what I mean? So information start coming out and you're thinking, like, wow, how's this going to help me with gentrification? You know, I had my favorite celebrity up there talking about it, but he didn't say nothing that was I could mobilize, and there was no call to action. So you know? it's mostly just like a distraction. Yes. And speaking of distraction, right? I want to I wanted you to talk briefly about the distraction that's being done, right? To funnel black dollars back into the white community and out of the black community. Again, we got to look at these businesses that are popping up and popping up kind of fast. Okay. You know, we, we like our health food places. Is this really a health food place? You know what I mean? So are, are they selling things that are not really healthy? You know, is this something that, that we would do or is it not? You know, so I think they, when things started getting bigger and bigger, they turned around and said, okay, these black folks is doing too much. You know, they recycling their black dollars. They buying block back. They doing all of these black things to do to keep the black dollar in their community. How are we going to get it back? So they'll turn around and put black faces on things mm. so that we can say, oh, it's black owned. But is it really black faces in high places? Yes. Yes. And- yeah. I, I just recently did a post. Right. And I went through about maybe 20 black mainstream known brands, right? That right. supposedly that was black. Right there. You that know, right from there. Shea Moisture to Carol's Daughters. And that part right there. Our people was really astonished. You know, most of them knew. Um, and, you know, they knew by way of the word spreading around that this is no longer black owned. Other people was co- complaining about the, the difference in the product. You exactly. know, at one time, this exactly. was real good for my hair. Now, now it's, it's not. sizzling and my hair is falling out. They got Sofa 8 in there. And, mm-hmm. you know, so the truth is coming out. And it's, it's unfortunate that um, these individuals that had these businesses are starting to um, sell them to white ownership. And that's the thing. We got to stop selling our stuff. You know, we are bred as a people to say, wow, look at, look at Jay-Z just sold Rockaware. Wow. He made all this money. Look at Nas sold that doorbell. Look at Dr. Dre sold Beats by Dre. You know, we all like, wow, we cheering them on. Like, I want to make me something that I can sell. Mm-hmm. But wait a minute. That ain't how that supposed to work. You know what I'm saying? I need this to be like Louis Vuitton. This needs to be generational. Absolutely. This, this needs to be, it would have been, you know, we would be able to go to, uh, 
the to the shopping centers and see we will be at the mall in these fancy stores. It'd be like Apple computers. It'd be like Tiffany. It would have been like uh, what do you call it? Uh, colors. What's, what's mm-hmm. it? You know what I'm saying? Oh, oh cross colors. Cross, it would have been cross mm-hmm. colors. You know what I'm saying? It would have been rockerware. It would have been et cetera, et cetera. But because we sell, it's like now you like whatever happened to cross colors? Whatever happened to rockerware? I ain't seen none of these clothes no more because mm-hmm. they don't mind giving you a billion dollars to shut it down. You see what I'm saying? And, and you know what? You are absolutely right, right? Because they bought Rockefeller, right? And you think with all the money, the marketing power, that they will make it bigger yeah. than what it already was. They will take it right. to a next level and it be mainstream. I can't tell you the last time I seen someone wearing rock, rock, Rockaware. Rockaware, uh, FUBU. FUBU, none of that. Cross colors. So they buy it. So, so, so in essence, what you're saying is they buy it and really Close just it self it. Yeah, self they, it. They buy it and shut it down. And we got to, so we got to stop selling our children's generational wealth. So if they give me a billion dollars, hypothetically mm-hmm. speaking, for my brand, which I'd never sell it, and then they turn around and, okay, well, I got a billion dollars, but am I going to take care of my children? Am I going to take care of my family, my cousins, my nieces, my nephew, the children at the, uh, across the street or mm-hmm. in the neighborhood? I don't know. This is only a billion dollars. I can't help everybody. Absolutely. You see what I'm saying? But if I got my business. Everybody can eat. Everybody's going to eat forever. Because you can employ people. Yes. And, and you know what? It, it just goes to the saying, you know, when we're dealing with racism and white supremacists, right? Win if you can, lose if you must, but always cheat. Right. And, and that's their model when they do that. Right. And I think the main thing is that we have to educate ourselves and we have to educate our youth. So speaking of education, what are you doing to educate the next generation and get them into entrepreneurship? I started sponsoring schools. I started taking the time out to go down to the schools. Instead of just writing a check, sending off the check, I started going down there, sitting behind behind the desk, sitting in front of the children, talking to them. You know what I'm saying? Going out there with them, showing them how to do things. Mm-hmm. You know, putting putting money into the schools so that they can go. So I, right now I'm working with several schools. I'm trying to make sure I'm trying to get them buildings mm-hmm. because a lot of the because of what's happening in this economy, a lot of these schools, a lot of parents are pulling their children out of the schools. Yeah, you know, like you did that amazing documentary. You know what I'm saying? Uh, elementary genocide. Uh, School, school to the present pipeline. pipeline. Yeah. Okay, well, a lot of parents saw that and said, he right, I'm pulling my children out to school. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, well, now we got a large amount of parents that are trying to homeschool their children and go to work. So it's it's spawned into a new situation to where now you got homeschools. It's under the umbrella of the homeschool banner, but it's really a, a regular school. Mm-hmm. So now these teachers, they're they running them out of their basements. They're running them out of their backyards. They're running them out of these small little buildings that they're renting, but they need help. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I'm trying to get them buildings. You know, like they got all these closed down schools. Like, can we buy some of these schools? You know what I'm saying? So we can put our children in these real schools and teach the real information, you know? Mm-hmm. So where when I when I became an advisor to the Compton Inglewood School District, Man, they had us doing all kind of backflips and everything. It took for us to go bring in some name brand rappers and give a whole bunch of money before they let me walk through that door. Mm. But that was the only reason why I was able to get in there is because of what we did for them. It's politics and everything. Man. Yeah, but the homeschools, they like, TJ, we know who you are. 
please, do you mind coming over here and speak and, and teach? If you could do that, that would greatly help us. Yes, I can. I will. You know what I'm saying? Do y'all mind teaching them the trades? If that you say that's going to work, that's a direct pipeline for wealth for us. Yes, we will teach the trades. Speaking of a direct pipeline to wealth, right? I want to say this, family. It should be unlawful for you not to leave generational wealth to your children and pass it down. We must not only leave it, but we must put in steps to maintain it. That part, right. Out of our presence, right? That part. What are some of the things that someone that may have abundance of money and they want to establish it where it's goes down to generations like we see the Rockefellers, the Connerpies, the DuPonts. It got to be with wills and trusts written. So my situation is set up to where I'm controlling my stuff from the grave. Mm. If y'all ain't did this, by this time, you ain't getting nothing. But if you did that by the age of this age, then you can have 10 million. You mm. see what I'm saying? But yeah. if you do that by that age, then you get all the rest of it. You know what I'm saying? But if you don't, it's going over here into the, the the neighbor that was my ace cool boo. He yeah. had my back and he was the one that the first one there, the last one to leave. That kid ain't my DNA, but he was he bought this life of overstanding running this business. Yeah. And he's gonna keep that loft and legacy going. And you know, another way how the Rockefellers did it, they established it in insurance, right? Yeah, that way too. So they was able to borrow from the insurance. You establish a business, and then your business be successful. You put back into the insurance, and and when you pass, you know they collect on insurance policy, and your kids are able to do the same thing, and it recycles and recycles and recycles. But they also had steps in place, you know, um, certain amount of time you have to do this in order to get that, and um, I think long as you have those barriers in place, right. Um, it, it, it can work, and we need to establish that. So um, in closing, right, I want to ask you, is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you that you want to say in your last closing words? Brother, we would be here all day with all the questions that I got <laughs> in my mind, you know. Um, you know, it's just entrepreneurship, you know, coaching. Please don't try to go out and buy your house by yourself. Don't go buy no large parcels of land by yourself. Don't make no major investments without sitting down with a seasoned investor like myself. When I say seasoned, I mean they've been doing this for some years. I don't mean, oh, just because your cousin bought a fourplex, that don't make them a good coach. You know what I'm saying? Just because you saw him on your favorite TV show, that don't make him a good coach. Just because they went to your church don't make him a good coach, you know. I need you to look up and do research the background of these people. You know, like me, I'm a seasoned investor. My name goes way back. You can see it's been the same thing. You can't look me up and 20 years ago, I was selling gold. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> 20 years ago, I was saying land development yeah. and, gent- and, you know what I'm saying, we better watch out for gentrification. So, I say, look out and come on down, talk to me. Let's do a consultation, take one of my training classes or something. And I'm trying to create some real, some real seeds, some real investors out here. All right. I see you got that book there. Why don't you hold the book up, point it to that camera right there. And let us know how we can get that book and the social media handle that they can follow you on. 
We can get the copy of this book, Monetizing Gentrification, Building Black Ownership, off my website, tjlofton.com. Again, that's tjlofton, L-O-F-T-I-N.com. Or they can research me and pull up all my social media. I like TikTok and Instagram at Thomas TJ Lofton. And you can hit me up on all those as well as my YouTube page, Thomas TJ Lofton. All my information, all my social media is Thomas TJ Lofton. All right, peace and power, black family. This is another one for the history books. Uh, TJ Lofton, I appreciate you, man. I thank you for coming through, man. This is your second time here. Make sure it ain't your last time. And um, I'm sure there's going to be individuals that have further questions for you and are going to be hitting you up, man. Continue to do what you do, man. And um, you know what we say, man. Free the land and free them all, man. My name is Raheem Shabazz, and this is the end of the podcast. Peace. Peace.